You are listening to a sermon from the First Baptist Church of Ewing, a Christ-centered church in Lewis County. But if you would this morning, uh, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 61. Isaiah chapter 61, we're going to be looking at the first four verses this morning. Uh, This is going to be the last sermon in that series we have been doing called Christmas According to Isaiah, where we've been looking at all of these different prophecies uh, from Isaiah, all that that foreshadow Christ's arrival at Christmas uh, 700 years before any of it actually took place. So turn to Isaiah 61, and as you do so, uh, let me go ahead and pray for our time this morning. Father, thank you so much uh, for this opportunity to meet this morning and just celebrate Christmas together. I'm so thankful for that opportunity. There is no better way to celebrate a holiday like this than just to come into your house and worship with other believers. So I pray Um, that you would just give us focus during this time. I know uh, many of us have a lot of plans after service. Some of us might even be traveling. Uh, But while we're gathered here in this room, let our attention just be on you. Let us hear from you. And let us learn how to apply what you have to say to us, uh, to our lives, so that we might not just be hearers of your word, but doers of your word as well. I ask this all in Christ's holy and precious name. Amen. Uh, Hear from the word of the Lord this morning, Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 through 4. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that, they, that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. This is the word of the Lord. I know I've shared uh, this story with you all before, uh, but it, it's such a, an encouraging story that I couldn't not share it with you again today, um, especially just considering how it relates to our text. Uh, but about a year or so ago, I was reading a book called uh, Dark Journey, Deep Grace. Uh, it was by a pastor named Roy Ratcliffe, uh, and the story began with him receiving a phone call from a friend of his who served as a chaplain in a local uh, prison, and one of the inmates there wished to speak to a minister about being baptized. And this chaplain was away on some other business, so he called Roy. And this is all fine, uh, except that this wasn't an ordinary inmate. Uh, The man in question was Jeffrey Dahmer, a notorious serial killer who was, at that time, serving 16 life sentences 
for 16 different murders that he had committed. Now, I'm not sure what was running through the mind of Pastor Radcliffe, but if, if it were me, I'd certainly have a lot of questions. I mean, first, I'd wonder if Jeffrey Dahmer's faith was genuine. I mean, did he actually become a professing Christian, or was this, this you know, some kind of a stunt to, to try to make him more eligible for parole, maybe? You know, I'd also wonder if this was a good idea, uh, if this is even safe to be alone in a room with a serial killer like that. Uh, Mr. Radcliffe, uh, when he was asked to visit Dahmer uh, in prison, he eventually agreed. Uh, and a lot of that was because he was curious. He wanted to know if the Lord really was at work in the heart of this murderer. But when he got there, he was also a little bit frightened uh, because the guards left him completely alone in this room with this man. And there was no glass that separated the two, uh, nor were there any guards present, uh, or at least immediately present, to step in if anything happened. They all exited the room. Uh, but despite those fears, Roy Ratcliffe, he sat there for an hour with this troubled soul, asking him questions about his knowledge of Jesus, about how he had come to faith, about the reasons why he wanted to be baptized. Uh, and at the end, this pastor came to this conclusion after their conversation. Uh, even though Mr. Dahmer may still be sitting uh, in front of him in physical shackles and handcuffs, uh, those spiritual chains that had bound him up in that life of sin, they, they had clearly been removed. I mean, he might physically still be sitting there in prison for the crimes that he committed on earth, uh, but spiritually speaking, he, Jesus had released him from that prison that his soul had been held captive in for so long. So in May of 1994, this pastor agreed to baptize Jeffrey Dahmer, this serial killer. And since there wasn't a dedicated baptismal on the prison grounds itself, he had to actually baptize him in this whirlpool bathtub that was used to treat inmates who had sprained ankles or sore muscles. And in the wake of that baptism, one of the things that Mr. Ratcliffe, uh, he never expected uh, was all of the backlash that he would receive uh, for being willing to perform this baptism. Uh, he received quite a bit of hate mail. Uh, he was told that he was being deceived, uh, that Dahmer was just trying to manipulate him. Uh, and during one particular uh, uh, television interview, a reporter even told this pastor, uh, he, he said, and I quote, if Jeffrey Dahmer really is going to heaven, then I don't want to be there. If this serial killer was being given this opportunity to spend eternity with God, then the reporter said that he wanted to spend eternity somewhere else. But, but this is where our text this morning comes into play. Because it is yet another prophecy uh, that Isaiah predicts. Uh, he actually is predicting the very words that Jesus will one day utter 
saying that he would come to proclaim liberty to the captives and to the the opening of the prison to those who are bound, even to captives who had committed crimes as terrible as the likes of Jeffrey Dahmer. So if there can be hope for even men like him, well, then certainly there can be hope for you and I as well. Which which is why I've titled the message this morning, What Christmas Means for the Captives. We're going to see this morning the hope that Christmas can provide for those who are still being held captive in their sin. Uh, and, And since it is Christmas And I understand that many of us have a lot of busy plans, a lot of stuff going on. Uh, I promise I'm not going to preach an an hour-long sermon or or anything super long. Instead, I just have a a single point uh, that I just want us to dwell on for a while. Here's the the main takeaway uh, that I want you to see from this text. Uh, And feel free uh, in your bulletins to to write this down if it's helpful uh, for you to remember it. Uh, But this passage exists to point you to the reality that Jesus came to declare the year of Jubilee in order that he might set the captives free. Jesus came to declare the year of Jubilee in order that the captives might be set free. So let's just spend some time breaking down that idea and seeing what it means for us today, which means that we first just need to spend a little bit of time talking about that year of Jubilee, that tradition that's in the Old Testament. Because uh, in verse 2 of our text in Isaiah, uh, Jesus uh, talks about coming to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Uh, but what is meant by that is this Old Testament tradition uh, that is the year of Jubilee. And all of that is uh, described in more detail for you uh, in the book of Leviticus, chapter 25. Um, You don't have to turn there right now if you don't want to, uh, but if you have the opportunity later, I'd actually encourage you to go back and read that chapter uh, if you want to understand this tradition in more uh, detail. Uh, But in short, uh, the Old Testament... Uh, there was what was called the the year of Sabbath, uh, and then there was the year of Jubilee. After the Israelites settled into the land of Cana, every seventh year was supposed to be a Sabbath year. That was when all of the the work uh, and, you know, all of the, the farming, everything was supposed to stop. They were supposed to work really hard for six years, and then on the seventh year, they were to give their fields a rest. And farmers today, they know the value of this from an agricultural standpoint. It allows the ground uh, to have an opportunity to recover, for the soil to replace some of its lost nutrients. Uh, But from a spiritual standpoint, it was also a reminder to the Israelites of the creation order. that The Lord worked six days in creating the universe, and then on the seventh day, he rested. Not because he needed to but so that he might set an example for us because we are frail and finite creatures. So we need to cultivate a habit of regular rest and not just physical rest, though that is important, but also spiritual rest. I mean, we need to regularly seek out opportunities to find rest in the Lord. 
which is why we take a break from our week every Sunday to come here and worship the Lord. So every seven years, the Israelites uh, were to let the, the land rest, and, and they were to rest from work. That's the year of the Sabbath. Uh, but then there's also the year of Jubilee. Every seven, after every seven Sabbath years, there was to be a special Sabbath year. So after 49 years, then there was to be that year of Jubilee on the 50th year. So this was almost a, a once-in-a-generation kind of event. And during the year of Jubilee, we're told that all debts were to be canceled. If anyone owed you money, well, now they didn't. In the year of Jubilee, that debt was to be wiped away. If someone was living in poverty, uh, and as a result of that, they had maybe sold part of their property to you, then it was to be returned to them in that year of Jubilee. If someone sold themselves into servitude, that they became a hired hand for somebody, well then, during this year of Jubilee, they were to be released. They were to be set free. Debts were to be canceled, property was to be returned, and slaves and servants were to be freed. And this was all necessary uh, to reset the economy on occasion in a corrupt and sinful, broken world, lest the people just continue to spiral uh, downward into a kind of poverty that they could never recover from. And lest uh, a few wealthy landowners ended up just dominating and, and taking over all of the land and everyone else's property. Uh, but more importantly, Jubilee was intended to teach a, a very important spiritual lesson to the Israelites as well. It was intended to foreshadow to them that one day, not only would their earthly debts be taken care of, but their spiritual debts would be canceled as well. There one day would arrive a Messiah who would declare the year of the Lord's favor. And if you want some just really wonderful news, even more so than that, then understand that Jesus's year of Jubilee, it has been one heck of a year. Because in the Old Testament, the, the Jubilee uh, it just... It was just one single year, just one uh, earth cycle around the sun, and then it was over. But Jesus' jubilee, it has been going on for two millennia, and it is still going strong. If you come to Christ, then regardless of whatever debts you've incurred, they can be erased. The charges that you have racked up, maybe a mile long, uh, the number of zeros associated with the amount that you owe to God, uh, they may be too many to count. But Jesus stands ready to, to cover that cost because we are living in a very long year of spiritual jubilee. So, so Jesus came to declare the, the year of jubilee so that the captives might be set free. We know more about this Jubilee tradition, but let's also just take some time to talk more about what it means for these captives to, to be set free. Uh, what is Isaiah trying to teach us about this liberty uh, that is being offered to those who are once in bondage? Uh, well, let's just look at a few of these statements that he makes. 
there's quite a lot of them. Uh, for the sake of time, I'm not going to look at all of them. I just want to focus uh, on three primary ones. Uh, and the first is where Jesus says that, that he will one day come to bind up the brokenhearted. He'll bind up the brokenhearted. Uh, there's a, a quote uh, from a pastor, uh, Tim Keller, that I, that I really love. He, he regularly says this. He says that one day when all is said and done, the world will be better for having once been broken. When, when all is said and done, when, when Jesus comes back, the world will actually be better for having once been broken. So when Isaiah says that Jesus will bind up the brokenhearted, that's what he's talking about. It's not like trying to uh, use some Elmer's glue to, to piece back together a vase that fell off the counter and shattered into a million pieces, and there's no way that you can get it looking like it once was. Uh, it's not like trying to use a little Band-Aid to reattach a limb that has been severed. Now, when Jesus binds up the brokenhearted, the, the end result is actually going to be something that was better than it was before. And not in spite of this world being a fallen and broken place, but because of it. Jesus is going to bind up the brokenhearted, and he is going to turn our tragedies into triumphs. He's going to transform them into something far more beautiful than they ever were before they were broken. So Jesus will bind up the brokenhearted. That's the first statement. Uh, secondly, we also see that Jesus will proclaim liberty to the captives. He'll proclaim liberty to the captives. Um, I just watched a, a new movie, just came out starring Will Smith called uh, Emancipation. Uh, it's a very, very dark movie. Let me warn you that. It's not necessarily something that you'd maybe want to watch with the kids or the grandkids, uh, but it, it still is a movie that is worth watching. Um, it's based on a true story about a slave named Peter that lived during the time of the Civil War. Um, and much of Peter's life was just lived in such despair I mean, he was separated from his wife and his kids. Uh, he was actually forced to work as a blacksmith for the Confederate army. The, the slave worked for the very army that was fighting to keep him enslaved. Uh, but then these rumors came his way that President Lincoln had issued the Emancipation Proclamation and that suddenly gave him this renewed sense of hope. Even though he and his companions were all still physically in their shackles, they knew that they were now free. Even though uh, they, they were in these shackles, they, they knew that they had been declared free. And so the movie is about Peter uh, escaping from this life of slavery and about him running through the swamps of Louisiana in search of Lincoln's army. And whenever he hears cannon fire, uh, Peter runs towards the cannon fire rather than away from it because he knows that those cannons have come with a purpose, and that is to help liberate captives like himself. So when there are spiritual battles to be fought in our own lives, let that be a reminder 
that we too have been emancipated from our slavery. And we too can now run towards the fray and not away because those shots that we hear being fired come from Christ who came to fight on our behalf and whose spirit now dwells in us in order that we might continue this fight against our sin and his strength. So Jesus came to bind the brokenhearted. He came to proclaim liberty to the captives. Those are a couple of the statements you read Isaiah say, uh, but there's also a third I want to look at. We're also told that Jesus will come to comfort those who mourn. He'll come to comfort uh, those who mourn. Adding to that, if you look at verse 3, we're also told that those who mourn, uh, to them a, a beautiful headdress will be given instead of ashes and the oil of gladness instead of mourning and a garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. Um, you also, if you look back a chapter in Isaiah, uh, he also talks about Jesus bringing about a uh, complete end to mourning altogether. He gives us a, a glimpse of heaven that says that it will be a place where the sun shall no more go down, for the Lord will be our everlasting light and our days of mourning shall be ended. That, that's just a bigger promise that I think most of us realize. The abolishment of mourning. The the reality that one day our tears will be wiped away and and there will be an an end to sorrow forever. I mean, that's such a, a big promise because of the sheer amount of reasons that we have to to experience sorrow and grief in this world. I mean, you can't watch the news without seeing a half a dozen or more tragedies just scrolling across the headlines. I mean, you can't think about your your own family or, or friends without thinking about those who have experienced some pretty devastating circumstances in their lives or who maybe have lost their lives altogether. And worst of all, we we all have a a list that's a mile long of those that we know that if they passed away today, then they would not spend eternity in heaven alongside Christ. And that causes just such a a deep sense of sorrow to well up in us. But, But we are promised that that sorrow is a temporary sorrow. It will not last forever. We are promised that everything sad will one day come untrue. Instead of covering ourselves in ashes, we will be able to put on garments of praise. Our tears will be wiped away, and the awe and wonder of worshiping our Savior will cause any lingering sorrows to flee once and for all. Don't ask me if we will forget about all of our past tragedies. I don't know. Uh, The Bible doesn't tell us. But what is clear is that all of those tragedies and sorrows will pale in comparison to seeing Jesus. So much so that they will no longer be a cause of concern for us. They will no longer be a source of mourning because we have once and for all found eternal comfort in the Lord. So Isaiah says that Jesus will bind the brokenhearted, 
He'll proclaim liberty to the captives. He will comfort those who mourn. Uh, but before we, we leave this text, uh, we also just need just to spend an, another moment meditating uh, on the end of verse 3. This is where you see the end results of understanding all that Jesus arrived on earth to do. Um, at the end of verse 3, we're told that these captives that Jesus has, uh, that the captives that Jesus has come to liberate, he says that they will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. Now, this goes back to some of the imagery that Isaiah used in chapter 11 uh, that we already talked about a few weeks ago. Uh, if you remember, Isaiah described Jesus as a tree. He called him a shoot that would one day sprout up from the root of Jesse. Uh, that line of King David, which everyone just thought was dead, you know, which the Assyrians and the Babylonians had come in and just cut off and had just turned into nothing but a stump. Well, out of that stump shot this mighty tree named Jesus who would come to bear much spiritual fruit. Well, now in Isaiah 61, he's returning to this tree imagery, uh, but instead of using it to refer to Jesus, he's using it to refer to those who are followers of Jesus. If we understand the, the true purpose of Christmas and the reality of why Jesus arrived on earth, which was to set the captives free, well, then we have the opportunity to be like these mighty oaks that have ultimately sprouted from the seeds of Jesus's death and burial and resurrection. And this, this imagery of an oak tree, it's very fitting. If you know anything about the development of, of trees, you, you know that it, they take years of slow, steady growth for them to fully mature. I mean, when it comes to trees, you measure their growth in terms of years, not in terms of months or weeks, and certainly not in terms of days. Nobody plants a tree and then hurries back outside the next day, hoping that it is fully grown. That process takes a very long time, uh, but the end result is something strong enough that you could build your house out of. It's slow, but it is well worth the wait. And Isaiah is saying that the same is true for the Christian life. If you want to, to become a fully mature Christian that Jesus can actually use to build his kingdom out of, it's not going to take days or weeks or months. It's going to take years. You're, you're going to need to meditate on passages like Isaiah 61, not just at Christmas time. You're, you're going to need to dwell on the significance of Jesus' arrival year round, year after year, until tree ring by tree ring, you slowly grow and mature in your faith. So that the end result is that you are standing there, there like a fully mature oak with deep set roots that cannot be easily blown over and that can stand tall as a testament to the glory of God. So, so Jesus came to declare the year of Jubilee in order that the captives might be set free. That, that's what Isaiah is trying to teach you in this passage. Um, and as we prepare to depart this morning uh, and celebrate uh, the rest of Christmas with our families, uh, let me just leave you with one more quick story. Just a story for the road. Uh, I, I began with a story about 
that serial killer in prison for the crimes that he had committed. Uh, So let me end with another story about the only man who has the power to pardon us for any crimes that we have committed, uh, especially crimes against the Lord. Uh, If you read through the Gospel of Luke, uh, the first three chapters, they're all the Christmas story uh, and Jesus's genealogy. Uh, But then if you arrive to Luke chapter 4, we witness the beginning of Jesus's public ministry. Uh, And very early on in the ministry, Jesus finds himself worshiping uh, on the Sabbath at the local synagogue in his hometown of Nazareth. Uh, And I've said this before, but but Nazareth was a a tiny little village, probably about the size of Ewing or Lewistown, uh, which meant that it was the kind of place where everybody knew everybody. They they all knew who Jesus was. Uh, But Jesus was sitting in that synagogue during service, uh, and he was given the honor that day of reading uh, the text. He was handed the scroll of Isaiah, And he and the congregation, they all stood uh, to hear the word of the Lord. Uh, And and at that time, uh, there would have been no, you know, chapters or or, uh, verse numbers uh, that had been added to this scroll just yet. But the text that Jesus read from was the opening verses of Isaiah chapter 61. We're told that Jesus unrolled the scroll and he found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he was he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then we're told that Jesus rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and he sat down. And the eyes of all those in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. I can't imagine what it would have been like to be sitting there that day in that room. I mean, people who were friends of Mary and Joseph and who who knew Jesus, not as a long awaited Messiah, but just as the son of the local carpenter. I mean, those gathered in Nazareth, they didn't see uh, Jesus fulfill Isaiah's prophecies by running into a Roman prison somewhere to to burst out any Jewish prisoners that may be there. Uh, That's what a lot of the Jews thought would happen when they read verses like this. No, they, they saw these verses being fulfilled as Jesus quietly began his public ministry in that synagogue And as he started that long journey headed towards the cross. So today, go celebrate Christmas. Uh, Go eat some Christmas ham, uh, enjoy some sugar cookies or whatever your your favorite uh, holiday treat is. But as you do, know that because of Jesus' arrival at Christmas, these verses in Isaiah 61, they have now been fulfilled. We don't have to look forward in time anymore like Isaiah did. They have already come to us through Christ. So Christmas now means that the captives can be set free. Let me pray. Father, just thank you. Thank you so much for sending your son. 
Thank you for allowing him to, to be born in that manger uh, as, as the son of a virgin and a carpenter. Thank you for allowing Jesus to, to grow up, to live the life that we couldn't live, to die the death that we should have died, so that through his death we can finally be given life and liberty again. May we just remember that today above all days, Father, knowing that, that Christ has the capacity to, to set us free from the prison of sin in which we have dwelled for so long. We just ask all of that in Christ's holy and precious name. Amen.